0: This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Open for business. Stores in Maui County that had been closed due to the COVID-19 crisis reopened Monday. We're told not many shoppers came out and some stores remain closed for a variety of reasons. Pamela Tumpep is the president of the Maui Chamber of Commerce. She spoke with The Conversation's Jason Uba yesterday and explained that Maui's reliance on the visitor industry is causing challenges across the Valley Isle.
1: We have always said at the Maui Chamber of Commerce that 75% of our island, either directly or indirectly, depends on the visitor industry. And what we're probably going to find is that it's more than that. We are now realizing that first, when when all businesses that were non-essential businesses had to shut down, it was devastating. As many chambers will probably tell you, we were dealing with people who were in just sheer panic, sheer panic, total loss of income, going to have to shut down. What's going to happen with their workers? You know, we've had this great unemployment for the longest period of time, and all of a sudden, we're dealing with devastation. It's very hard to find workers on Maui, and we've had so many people just, you know, employers calling us, crying about having to lay off the, the worker who's been with them for 30 years to having to lay off the single mother who just had a baby. And what we deal with is, like other neighbor islands, what uh, Maui Chamber of Commerce deals with is very small businesses. You know, we call them small businesses by national standards. They'd be micro businesses. Over 90% of our members have fewer than 25 employees since the 2008 recession. And so we're dealing with very small businesses. And when you're When you're looking at retail in particular and where a lot of retail is done, a lot of retail is done in the high-end visitor markets where a small shop on Front Street may cost you $24,000 a month in rent. And so when this industry shut down, not only did we see hardship for every business that had to close that was not essential, but, you know, and some of them could operate, you know, out of their home to, some degree and maybe make a little bit of income but for retail and restaurants we saw extreme devastation and also in an arena where rent might be deferred but rents were still expected so one of the companies I talked to and worked with very early on they were looking at $24,000 a month in rent so just you know with half of March being closed and then April at a month and a half, they were in panic, and then when May closed, it was, it was you know, with the prospect of May um, closing throughout the month of May, now we're seeing it reopen. I mean, it was devastating. The challenge is it still is, and it's devastating because while we are now reopening, and as of Monday, we have seen our retail be able to reopen where they can ensure the safety, you know, following the best possible guidelines – Uh, None of us can ensure the safety uh, with this this, uh, silent enemy of COVID-19 and and, uh, where it lurks and who may have it without us knowing. But with the best possible scenarios and following CDC guidelines and industry guidelines, traffic is dismal. Just had somebody call me today and say they were walking Front Street at 1130, and again, some businesses were able to operate. We've got a lot of restaurants on Front Street. We have built so many restaurants because the traffic warrants it normally, but we know our local economy can't shore up all those restaurants. So some of them have remained open. Others have had to close. For the ones that remained open, they have stayed open, and about nine small businesses, I'm told, were reopening on Front Street since yesterday, but the street is still dead. There's no traffic. Same thing in Kihei, Oh. Uh, Kihei area, high visitor traffic area normally for us. And while some small businesses can reopen, they said there's no point. Uh, without that visitor traffic, it's a huge challenge. We are also finding big disparities between smaller towns that are still, you know, we call them our local towns, Makuau, Paia, Haipu, different regions. But a lot of our small towns, that are you know have a lot of uh, local traffic, they're still struggling as well in terms of retail. Paihia, I'm told, was very sparse again today without the visitor traffic. Same thing with Motuea. And again, some of our smaller shops, while they still have in those in those regions fairly sizable rent payments for their spaces they're saying the traffic is down and also there's smaller shops so they're not larger chains and they are struggling to find what's needed for the health and safety they're struggling we're we're working with people to get hand sanitizer thankfully we have distilleries on islands who are now making it and we're struggling to get ppe and the chamber is selling some of that through a partnership with the county of maui to get that out to these companies but beyond that other social distancing things ways to put up barricades within their office. Uh, plexiglass has become it's very difficult to find. Uh, some of the things that you would want to put in a retail shop to quarantine certain areas or put up barricades, they're struggling to find the needed supplies. So that's another issue that we're dealing with right now.
0: That was Pamela Tumpap, head of the Maui Chamber of Commerce. Now, the Big Island and Kauai, which uh, have recorded zero deaths and have no active cases, relaxed their restrictions last week. We reached out to Diane Lay, Director of Research and Development, about what Hawaii County is seeing and how it's helping businesses to comply with the sanitation and physical distancing guidelines.
2: Businesses have slowly begun opening. I think they're being a bit cautious, as are our customers. I mean, for good reason. Our primary focus here on the island is to keep everyone safe and healthy. We can't lose sight of that. We know we've been through challenging economic times and we will continue to face that, but we're all in this together. What we saw last week at the end of the week and over the weekend was a very slow start. I think businesses are learning and adjusting Know, how to manage the number of customers that are coming into stores or for services? How to handle um, merchandise? How to make sure when customers pay, everyone you know remains safe and at a safe distance? I and mean, businesses are working to install barriers, signage lines on floor to um, space customers apart designating when they recall employees they're having to not only bring them back onto the job but in a sense retrain them they may have new tasks such as being a front door monitor to make sure that everyone applies sanitizer limit limiting the number of customers coming in the door or for uh, merchandise or for services. They may be walking around the stores with the customers to assure that customers are limiting the time they browse and are going directly for what they need. Um, We've seen that in some stores.
0: I've seen several stores do deep cleaning in anticipation of Mm -hmm. people returning to their shops. And it really does vary. You know, some shops are... They've got, you know, one way in, another way out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some have lines on the aisle floors trying to designate the, you know, the traffic flow. But it varies from store to store.
2: It definitely does. And what we've been doing since early March, and, and I do want to acknowledge the the essential businesses that have stayed open for the past month and a half made lots of adjustments. As you say, um, they've had to do deep cleaning, um, some of them on a daily basis, so that meant that they had to shorten the number of hours they were open and and reassign employees to new tasks. They also had to learn what does deep cleaning mean? What does general good hygiene? We all learned it you know, from the time we were cakey, but we just have to reinforce that. And so one of the things we did on Hawaii Island, uh, Mayor Harry Kim did early in March. He stood up a county prevention and education task force, and that's headed by our fire department. And they're working directly with businesses and communities to educate on good social distancing, how to wear face masks, um, Hand washing, general hygiene, disinfecting, and then also, you know, really reinforcing not only the stay-at-home message during the shutdown, but also encouraging people now, you know, it's safer to stay at home. And certainly if you're ill, do not be coming to work. Do not be getting out there to shop. Don't, you know, don't be interacting with folks. And so he stood up this education. Prevention and Education Task Force specifically to reach out to folks and make sure our businesses in particular were educated. And we've reached over 300 businesses thus far, and we continue, we're ramping that up now as, as we do this soft reopening. And then the mayor also stood up what we call the bug busters. And the bug busters are a team of um, employees from Public Works and Parks and Recreation that are going out and disinfecting public spaces on a daily basis. And with the reopening of additional businesses now, they're assisting owners with the storefront areas at, when they request that. Our businesses had very little warning, as, as, as we did across the nation and the globe, um, that we would need to um, shut our doors. And so what has happened is um, they are transitioning um, and and resolving um, the issues of loss of income um, the, the need to still pay bills rent um, power um, you know whatever services they provide and while the federal government has offered the payment protection uh, program and the economic disaster injury loans some of those programs have been slow to um, get into the bank accounts of, of businesses. So they're making adjustments with their employees, sometimes on a day-to-day basis and sometimes over an extended period of time. But they're, you know, continuing to adjust and be flexible, looking for resources. We should be, um, the County of Hawaii should be standing up a new micro-loan program for both families in and businesses that are in kind of a gap situation right now. They you know, may have been able to sustain and pay their bills on a month-to-month basis, but now with this loss of income in such a um, fast fashion, they um, are facing a gap while they wait for federal
0: or state resources. So we want to provide some uh, microloans there to help bridge that. Lei says the administration hopes to roll out that micro-loan program next week. If there are businesses who need help with sanitation training, they can reach out to the county's prevention task force. Now, the island of Kauai started seeing lots of cancellations of vacations and tours in early March, and travel restrictions on businesses that rely on tourism have taken a huge hit. Tanya Temme is a Garden Isle resident and co founder of Kauai.com, which facilitates tourism on the island. Temme is optimistic about reopening, but realistic about the immediate future of the industry.
3: Our business is tourism based, and we are, you know, we help them to plan their vacation. So we do get people who are looking at future dates, but there's always this question of when will the quarantine be lifted? We would love to help support Kauai businesses. How can we, you know, support small businesses? So, What we've done in the meantime is we've just been brainstorming how to kind of reinvent ourselves for the time being because we are not going to be seeing tourism back here anytime soon. But we have a lot of people reaching out to us that would love to support the small businesses on Kauai. So we're trying to work on just making our site more accessible to the small businesses where they can get their businesses on our site, and we can use our social media as well as our reach being a pretty authoritative domain name to Get the word out to other people so that their businesses, you know, can have some exposure without the tourists actually being here. And it's, it's the feeling on Kauai. I mean, you can walk or drive through Kapaa town, which is usually pretty bustling with small restaurants and coffee shops, um, tourism shops. A lot of shops are still boarded up. They are not opening because they know that, you know, there's no there's no traffic for their type of you know, product. Um, A lot of the food trucks and things are open. But you can just, I mean, it's very quiet. So people are really trying to create the energy that it's open again. But kind of what I'm feeling and hearing from people, it's just really hard. You know, they're trying to limit their hours, limit the employees that they bring back. And you can be open and just not getting any business because there's just not the traffic and the people. But, I mean, I think people are happier that some of the shops are being able to open. It's just going to take a long time to get back to a level where, I guess some sense of normalcy and I think we're all very happy that we haven't had many cases here. I think everybody um, is aware of what needs to be done in order to maintain that level of, you know, sense of safety, but there's also, you know, it's starting to change. Everyone's starting to realize that if we don't have some, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, when will we start seeing our Island, you know, economy, which is really, has a lot to do with tourism change. I think people are getting very discouraged. Um, so there's a good and bad to everything. It's really nice to see the beaches empty and not traffic on the roads. We, we all, love that. We tell our kids how we grew up here, and you know it's starting to feel a little bit like that in some sense. But we all know that that we can't maintain. That can't be the reality if we all are to maintain. You know our businesses and keep things moving forward.
0: Here on Oahu, hundreds of small retail businesses are getting the green light to open their doors on Friday. We plan a call-in show tomorrow to see how businesses are preparing, and we'd like to hear from you. Think it's too much too soon? Will you be venturing out? Call in to record your thoughts or join us live. And now it's time to take a look across the globe. New clusters of infection in China and Lebanon have caused some areas to go back into lockdown. And a look at the added stress of COVID-19 for people living in rental accommodations. Here's the BBC with the latest.
4: This is the Coronavirus Global Update on the 13th of May. I'm Jackie Leonard. Restrictions are re-imposed in a Chinese city after new cases emerge. Lebanon also shuts down again. And the extra burden of COVID-19 for some people living in rental accommodation. Restrictions have been reimposed in a Chinese city after dozens of new cases were reported. Transport links have been cut and schools and cinemas have been closed in Jilin, which is near the border with Russia and North Korea. Kerry Allen is one of our China Watchers. It all started with a laundry worker who tested positive in a city called Shulan last week. But what is unclear is how she was able to get the virus. Um, She tested positive, but uh, she hadn't been in contact with anybody else who'd had the virus. And so the authorities are now looking at whether she might have caught it off clothing because she had literally been staying indoors and only seeing her mother and travelling by car, so not travelling by public transport. The Lebanese government has reimposed a nationwide lockdown following a rise in coronavirus cases there. The country had been emerging from restrictions ordered to try to control the disease. Shops, restaurants and hair salons had been allowed to reopen, but they'll now have to close again. As new cases begin to emerge in the Middle East and Asia, the European Commission has issued guidelines for EU member states on restarting tourism for the summer season. Margrethe Vestager is the Commission's Vice President.
5: Of course, this is not not a normal summer. This is not a, a normal holiday, as I think we all long for, but it may be possible to have quite a nice holiday anyway, and for the many, many, many people working in hospitality to have a job over the summer. A phased approach
4: would start with allowing in seasonal workers and then restrictions would be eased between regions that had got the virus under the same level of control. President Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, has been released from prison to complete his sentence under house arrest. The 71-year-old is serving a seven-and-a-half-year term for tax and bank fraud offences. Manafort's lawyers requested the transfer on the grounds that his age and pre-existing health conditions increased his risk of serious illness from COVID-19. Lesotho has become the last country in Africa to confirm a case of coronavirus. Officials say the patient had returned home after studying in Saudi Arabia. Our Africa regional editor Will Ross reports. It's quite surprising that it's taken this long for Lesotho to be affected by the coronavirus. It is entirely surrounded by South Africa, which, with more than 11,000 cases, is the worst hit place on the continent. But as in most African countries, with relatively low levels of testing going on, it's hard to know the true picture. Several African governments have started to relax some of the restrictions, even though it's quite possible that the toughest days are still ahead. Britain's opposition leader Keir Starmer has challenged the Prime Minister in Parliament to account for official- Figures showing 10,000 unexplained deaths in British care homes in April. In reply, Boris Johnson said his government was making progress on reducing the pandemic, but there was much more to do. Sakir said he was disappointed that the Prime Minister didn't have an answer. Staying in the UK, homeless charities say they've received thousands more calls from people worried about being evicted from their rented accommodation. Some have complained of discrimination at the hands of private landlords after testing positive for COVID-19. People like Rajesh Jayaseelan, who worked as an Uber driver in London when he became infected. His wife, Mary, who lives in Bangalore, told us what happened. His landlord said, you will spread the coronavirus to Us all and sent him out. Rajesh had gone to get medicines, but as soon as he left, the owner changed the locks and kept him out. He spent that night in his car without food or sleep. He phoned the owner many times, but he did not answer. He was telling him, I need to sleep. The doctor has told me to rest, but the landlord did not listen. Rajesh slept in his car for several nights before finding temporary accommodation. On the 11th of April, he died from COVID 19. He was 44. Now we'll end by looking at the knock-on effect the pandemic has had on those people not on dry land but sailing the oceans, from people in small yachts doing a trip of a lifetime to more seasoned sailors, all of whom face problems being allowed back on shore. Daria Blackwell is with the Ocean Cruising Club, which has been trying to help people out. People
1: are facing enormous difficulties where they leave one port, they sail to where they think they will be able to find resupply of food and water and fuel And lo and behold, they arrive and the port has been closed. Their only option
4: then is to try to find another port that is open that will accept them. This is the Coronavirus Global Update.
0: This is the conversation on statewide, member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Up next your, your backyard quiz
6: Unihoaulepuwa Unihao ukawa Puwa umuloga ini
3: ulana ini
6: umau ukaho ulave uhavai
0: For today's Backyard Quiz, we're taking you into a dark place on the east side of the Big Island. It was first formed in 1881 during one of Mauna Loa's eruptions. As the lava flowed from the mountain, the surface of the flow cooled and hardened, but the lava below the crust remained molten. It became a plumbing system for the eruption, a tube forming below the surface, channeling the lava downhill, with the hardened wall serving to insulate the lava, keeping it cool until it spilled out at the end. In the following years, parts of the roof collapsed, revealing the underground cave system. Years later, it became a state park where visitors can explore nearly two miles of the 20-mile lava tube. But it's not an easy trek. After descending a concrete staircase to the access point, you'll run into a sign warning explorers to enter at their own risk and informing everyone that parts of the system run under private property. Still, that doesn't deter many from spending time there. So... Can you tell us the name of this state park in Hilo where the sun doesn't shine? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right.
7: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from locations. Whose realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Locations welcome home.
0: Efforts to release Lobris inmates from facilities across the state has been ongoing with some mixed success. HPR's Kuubehi she joins us live this morning to give us an update on those efforts to protect those incarcerated from
5: COVID-19. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Uh, over the last uh, two months, about uh, 823 inmates have been released from our correctional facilities, mostly uh, from our jails. So uh, back in... Uh, April, the Hawaii Supreme Court had ordered, as you had mentioned, uh, nonviolent misdemeanors, short sentences, or pre-trial detainees, folks that are awaiting trial but haven't yet been convicted. Um, so about 350 of those uh, of the fi- of the 800 came from that pool. But uh, what in my conversations with prosecutors, uh, they've kind of shown this concern over the court in the climate right now under COVID that there's this somewhat reluctance to really put people, in, you know, incarcerate people at this time if the threat to sort of weighing the public health threat against the uh, public safety threat. So if they're not, they don't have a violent criminal history, why don't we just leave them, you know, keep them in the community under supervision, there can be terms and conditions for uh, their release, but that it's safer for them outside and for everyone involved in uh, sort of the jail ecosystem, right, because you've got staff members, you've got doctors, you've got lawyers going in and out of the facilities to kind of minimize all of that exposure to potentially uh, exposure to COVID-19. They're trying to keep as many people out of of the jails. Uh, So I spoke to uh, Mitch Roth, a prosecutor over on, in Hawaii County, about, um, I guess, rhetoric that we've been hearing lately about the, the request to possibly or calls to possibly halt uh, this continued presumption of release, right? This uh, idea that maybe we shouldn't be kind of laxing the rules right now uh, because it could pose a danger to our community.
8: I think all the prosecutors, or most of the prosecutors in the state believe that we should be putting a halt, especially when you start releasing people um, that are causing a danger to our community. You know, this whole process has been a balancing test on, first it was making sure that we don't overwhelm our health care facilities, and right now with what we're seeing, I believe that the number is a safe number that we can put an end to the current uh, orders that the court is operating under.
5: Our prosecutors perhaps may have this and the attorney uh, State Attorney General had expressed this idea that the numbers are safe enough uh, but according to the Supreme Court order uh, the goal is really to get below design capacity to so to get to a point where we can at least uh, have one inmate in generally speaking one inmate in one cell so if anything happens we will be able to easily kind of um, contain any potential outbreaks Uh, and to get to that I know we've already released 800 inmates, but we actually have to release another 225 Wow. So there is more being done. Uh, as I mentioned, a lot of that 800 or most of the 800 came from our jails, right? And so now uh, the Hawaii Paroling Authority is reviewing some of our prison uh, prison sentence, uh, sentenced criminals uh, who may have pre-existing conditions or uh, are kupuna aged. And so kind of minimizing that risk by having them go uh, to some other sort of home or whatnot to uh, not be in the prisons at this time. Like a halfway house or something? Yeah, and I think uh, the Hawaii Paroling Authority had not been in session last month, so they are picking up with their reviews this month. So we'll see the product or the the outcome of that uh, once we get there. But reaching that design capacity, as I mentioned, is the goal for this, um, at least under, in fact, under uh, CDC guidelines as well you know, to hit that. There have been no cases uh, reported of COVID-19 in our jails and prisons, according to the Public Safety Department. They are testing when um, things look suspicious. I do know in the vite of a correctional facility, we do have uh, one inmate that is uh, under medical isolation, kind of showing signs of a respiratory illness, but awaiting the results of a COVID-19 test. And then everyone that was housed with that inmate is uh, also in quarantine. Uh, speaking on reentry efforts, which I think has really been part of the conversation, you know, media reports of uh, recently released inmates reoffending in some cases, yeah. uh, committing serious crimes,
0: yeah, violent crimes,
5: right. And and the reentry process in Hawaii has always been a challenge, even under uh, kind of the best circumstances. And I think a lot of the motivation or drive from prosecutors and. Uh, is to you know put a halt to this because they don't want dangerous people out in the community. Jeff Nash, the executive director of Habilitat, who's had some experience in dealing with folks coming uh, out of prison and going into treatment at the long-term uh, drug rehab, he says under the pandemic, the conditions are even uh, more challenging because you've got... Virtually no jobs for these people to take on. It's hard to find housing under uh, this pandemic. And so he kind of speaks to uh, what it'll really take.
2: You know, if you take somebody in jail and you just release them onto the street without any supervision, without any corrective action, without a plan, you know, the the, the chance of them recidivating is is very high. Uh, Whereas if you have a structured plan for their release and they're, you know, they receive uh, evidence-based reentry
8: training, the rates of recidivism are reduced drastically.
5: And so that's what we're, I think, what everybody's kind of dealing with right now. There are groups that are trying to fill that gap, and uh, there are things like hotel rooms and cell phones that they're trying to secure for these inmates. Uh, but you know, I think today what we're going to hear from a uh, public safety department is uh, an update on how lava Correctional Facility, which we do know has been uh, is over capacity by about three hundred something uh, inmates, and also our uh, facility up in Arizona. Get an update on how inmates are doing there and efforts to uh, curb COVID nineteen there.
0: Saying tomorrow, right? Right. Arizona.
5: Yes, and then uh, later this week we will have a special updates on whether or not we are going to curve back on the supreme court order and perhaps we're going to uh, have additional uh, conditions placed on folks that are released or maybe more resources and uh, effort done on the reentry side
0: okay yeah so uh, kind of a work in progress lots right. of moving parts
5: exactly and and i think you know the goal is really to as we m- uh, mentioned earlier to get folks uh, to to balance public safety and uh, public health which is a really hard decision right now right okay thank you so much thanks that was hpr's
0: kuve hirishi with the latest on the inmate release program
7: Support for Hawai'i Public Radio comes from American Savings Bank, committed to the community and its well-being, dedicated to standing with Hawai'i's families. ASBhawaii.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here on Hawai'i Public Radio, we strive to bring you the best of both worlds. We keep you informed and entertained with national programs like Marketplace and Fresh Air. And we also keep you connected to our community with our local shows, like The Body Show, Bite Marks Cafe, and Kapila Sunday. In fact, one-third of our programming is hosted by HPR's own staff. To learn more about all of our programs, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a collection reflecting the cultural diversity of the islands and a commitment to presenting art and exhibitions that inspire. More at HonoluluMuseum.org.
0: Our Reality Check segment looks at the bike boom spurred on by the COVID-19 shutdown. Chad Blair from Honolulu Civil Beat joins us to talk about that this morning. Hi there.
8: Good morning, Catherine.
0: You know, I have to say, I got a... Flat on my bike, and I did go into the bike store, and uh, they were busy. Lots of repairs.
8: Uh, you know, according to Marcel Honoré's report, uh, one of the stores—I think it might be either the one on Macaulay or on King Street—but one of them said, "Look, if you want to get a, a change tire or a tune-up or something major work, it's going to take you a month. <laughs> That's how long the appointments are backed up." And the reason is is because people have been buying bicycles like crazy. Now, Marcel covers transportation for us. He himself commutes regularly on a bicycle, so he knows his beat really well. Yes. But he was astounded to actually go into these shops around town and discover that there were not a whole lot of bikes uh, on the on the floor. I mean, you used to walk into a bike store and you can actually smell the, the tire rubber, right? It's a distinct smell of a... Of, of of a bike store, and uh, that is not the case because I mean it still spells a little bit like that, but uh, the, the bikes are selling crazy because of COVID, and the reason is people are looking for other options to exercise in large part.
0: Yes, and the rep- on the repair side, they said that people are you know dragging the bikes out from under the house, and uh, they need a <laughs> tune up, and so yeah, that's why they're booked.
8: Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, the gyms are still closed. Last time I checked uh, the latest orders, either from the the governor or from the the mayor, uh, beaches have been reopening to some extent, not to the full opening uh, prior to COVID-19 coming to town. Uh, And then you've got families with kids locked up uh, in the house. And according to Marcel's reporting, you know, biking getting out is a good way to to get some healthy exercise uh to have a sense of freedom right because everybody feels kind of cooped up right now i should add you know another obvious thing there's a lot fewer cars on the road right now because of covid because of stay at home or Whatever it's called now, is it safer at home? Is that yeah. the latest way we we're calling this? So, you know, we'll see whether this sticks uh, after after the the pandemic. But uh, a rare silver lining uh, in the COVID crisis.
0: Yeah, and it's funny too because following my experience there in the the bike shop, I did call around to the neighbor islands, and mm-hmm. in places like Maui and Kona, where you'd normally get you know a high uh, triathlete traffic because of the triathlons. Oh, sure. Those are, you know, obviously all on hold, and so they don't have a lot of that business coming in, but they were busy with the repairs and they were selling bikes. So it was really kind of interesting to, to see the snapshot.
8: Yeah, I, I think at Macaulay uh, Bicycle, one of the um, – in Sporting Goods, one of the owners or operators said, it's like Christmas every day, people coming in and, and, and bikes being sold. Um, you know, we should tell you it's not just happening, as you mentioned, the neighbor islands. It's happening here, but it's also uh, – Part across the U.S. and other parts of the globe. You know, the thing that Hawaii has uh, somewhat uniquely to it is a lot of our bikes come from China, Taiwan, Southeast Asia. I mean, that's true of the mainland in general. But those bikes go to the mainland first, and they kind of get their first dibs, right? And sometimes when there's a, uh, a lack of... of um, supply, we get what's left over that comes to Hawaii once they're shipped here. But in fact, they're going very fast. bikes that are selling, you know in under the $900 range. I mean, the last time I bought a bicycle, I think it was around 300 bucks years ago when I was in college. but um, uh, even if the they are not top of the line products, people are are buying them.
0: And you know what what what's interesting too is uh, uh, because the traffic is down, I actually found uh, myself being a bit braver and going into downtown areas where I normally wouldn't go because I was just worried about the, the crazy traffic. Were
8: you wearing a helmet?
0: Yes, always, always, always. <laughs>
8: there, <laughs> there is that back that bike path on King Street, which frustrates some people, but other people uh, recognize it's a way to help alleviate road traffic. And we, uh, you know, Honolulu, we've always talked about being a more bike-friendly town. One wonders whether this development, people buying bikes, getting out on the road, might change things for good.
0: Yeah, change our habits and uh, be interesting to see what happens. Thanks so much, Chad. <laughs>
8: Thanks, Catherine.
0: That was Honolulu Civil Beat's Politics and Opinion Editor, Chad Blair, with today's reality check. To read Marcel Henry's story, visit civilbeat.org.
7: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mid-Pacific Institute, a community of innovators, artists, and individuals with a one-to-one technology program designed to foster creativity and problem-solving for tomorrow's world, midpac.edu. I'm Bert Lum, today on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll learn how UH is addressing the development and nurturing of new economic sectors in Hawaii. We'll find out how the Office of Innovation and Commercialization is bringing together UH-affiliated incubators and accelerators to drive innovation. That's today at 6.30 p.m.
0: on Bite Marks Cafe. <music> In today's Backyard Quiz, we're testing your knowledge of Big Island geography. We asked about the name of a state park located about four miles from downtown Hilo. It features a lava tube formed in the 1800s that channeled the flow from Mauna Loa down toward Hilo. The lava could have potentially destroyed the town, but legend has it that Princess uh, Ruth Keiligolani stopped the flow a mile outside of town by standing in front of the flow and praying to the Hawaiian deity, Well, today the public's allowed to explore a portion of the 20-mile system uh, starting through an opening in the tube's roof. Much of the cave system is dark, requiring explorers to use a flashlight to navigate, while inside you see the ropey and smooth characteristics of uh, 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 pahoehoe lava, the smoother of the two kinds of lava, as well as different uh, colors of growth on the walls. And you'll see also roots hanging from the ceiling. And with the Thurston lava tube in the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park still closed, right now the Comana Cabe State Park is the answer to today's quiz. It's one of the few places in the state where the public can still uh, go underground. And congratulations. We have two winners, uh, Onauna and Keppa. You got it right. They shared they are standing in line at uh, Hilo Landfill and they are listening to HPR. So thank you for listening and thank you for playing our quiz. That is today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Mm-hmm. Working remotely, Big Island scientists were forced to do just that when lava from Kilauea's eruptive phase made it impossible to keep the Volcanoes Observatory and the Jagger Museum and the Visitor Center open. Volcanologists with the U.S. Geological Survey and Hawaii Volcanoes National Park staff are rolling out a proposal to rebuild the facilities that had to be abandoned. The public is being asked to weigh in on four proposals to reduce the footprint and relocate the structures away from the rim while still maintaining a field office that scientists say is critical. We hear from Chief Scientist Tina Neal about that, but first, Park Superintendent Rhonda Loy sets the stage.
6: This is actually a very exciting time at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park because we have a chance to work with the public and scientists such as Tina Neal from the U.S. Geological Survey and together have an opportunity to reshape the experience up in the summit area and as you know, we went through some tremendous changes in 2018. It began with the collapse of the crater floor at, on the East Rift Zone in O'o, which was also located in the park, and also the collapse of the Kilauea caldera. And we experienced the park experienced some over 60,000 earthquakes between April 30th and August 4th in 2018. And, and it, was, it was a tremendous impact on the park. We were closed 134 days. And during that time, the lava lake, it drained away from the summit area, and it had been there for nearly a decade, and parts of Crater Rim Road actually fell into the crater, and we also had substantial damage to our facilities that were closest to the, to the crater lake, and, and that's in the Uwe Kahuna area, and that included our Jagger Museum. And then there was, of course, the USGS operated facilities, the Hawaii Volcanoes Observatory, which included the Okimura Building. Over the last two years, we've been rep- repairing the roads uh, that were damaged, re- repairing some of the trails, and also trying to figure out how we can replace those functions that were lost when those buildings were damaged. So. It, it's Seems like a long time coming, but really it's two years, and I'm really excited to get to this point and and share with the public some of our our ideas and and get their feedback. All of our brochures and our waysides of the in the summit area, all of those need to be updated because there's just been such enormous change in this area. So we're actually uh, printing a new park brochure that will show a great panoramic of what the crater looks like today.
0: And Tina, you know, you're a scientist. Talk about the changes that you've seen.
9: What happened in 2018 was the most significant event at Kilauea in in at least the last 200 years. And so to witness that and be a part of that event uh, in all its facets was certainly a, a tremendous challenge for us as scientists and human beings, but it also offers us an amazing opportunity to learn more about how Kilauea Volcano in particular, but volcanoes in general,
1: work for the
9: Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. Our departure from the park in 2018 because of the increasing earthquakes and progressive damage to the building and just basically it being an unsafe place to be uh, was, was a terribly wrenching thing for our staff, especially going on at the same time as this very destructive eruption in the Lower East Rift Zone. But as you in indicated, HVO has been within the park area for more than a century, conducting research into how Kilauea and Mauna Loa and volcanoes work and, and really conducted some of the most impressive world-class science into volcanology that, that has ever been done. So to, to lose our position there at that perch overlooking Kilauea caldera has been, has been difficult for staff. Um, And for people who don't work at HVO even anymore, the the long-term memory of being there, observing the volcano and conducting our work makes it kind of painful not to be there anymore. However, as Rhonda said, this is a tremendous opportunity to rethink our position in the National Park, uh, to look carefully at what our functions, our critical functions are, and then to design a new field station to support our work going forward uh, in an even better way. So we are also anxious and, and excited about this process. We're looking forward to public ideas an input about how to make it all work uh, for the many uses of the National Park, including the very important mission of, of HVO, to conduct basic volcanologic vulcano, research, uh, to importantly monitor Kilauea Volcano for the health and safety of park visitors and indeed the people of the island. So I think, as Rhonda said, we are anxiously awaiting the, this process to play out and to continue the dialogue about how this will look in the future.
0: What's on the drawing board for these plans? What are the, the four concepts?
6: We recognize that there was a potential we may one day need to relocate some of those services like Jagger Museum and the observatory further back from that caldera edge. And so these four concepts that we're, and they draft concepts that we're proposing, really look at locating these services in different locations of the summit area so we'll continue to have visitor services and the USGS presence in the Kilauea Summit area but in different proposed locations so we're really interested in getting the public's feedback on that and in common to all we're gonna the plan is to demolish the former the Jagger Museum and the Okimura building which is the largest of the USGS facilities at Uwe Kahuna.
0: And talk about the Kilauea Visitor Center because you had overcrowded conditions there, right?
6: Right. A lot of our park buildings were built in the 1930s, so they're really not designed for 21st century living, what we do today and how we manage visitor flow and, and conduct interpretation. And so this is an actually an opportunity to redesign some of our visitor services area to improve, improve the experience. Based on the public feedback, we'll relook at some of these design concepts and and i don't think the intent is that these co- concepts will remain intact there'll be probably some mixing and matching of parts of one design to the other to come up with the best concept to carry forward and then well, there'll be additional opportunities for for additional public input we're in the age of coronavirus and so normally we would be able to do face-to-face public meetings, but we really want to keep our public safe in our Kapuna. So we're trying something a little different. It'll be rely a lot more on digital technology and we have a phone tree set up so people can call in and ask questions and we'll get back to them. We'll have a lot of the information posted on our website. So it's a it's a different way of communicating and getting public engagement and we hope this works. And that's why we really want to get the word out.
0: So what should the public know about the comment period?
6: So the comment period will start from May 15th and go on to June 15th. And you can get the information on our park website. You can also go to parkplanning.nps.gov forward slash Havo Disaster Recovery to view the design concept and read the narrative explaining the different concepts. You also have... A phone number, 808-460-6212, if you have any questions or if you want information sent to you. And, of course, there's our email address, which is havo-planning at nps.gov.
0: And, Tina, can you talk about how you folks are trying to bring the story together, you know, for this new phase? We will not only be creating a new field
9: station within the National Park to support our, our work in the Kilauea Summit area, but this is in tandem with building a new facility in Hilo, Hawaii, where we will combine with our um, biology colleagues in a in a unified center that takes us out of the Kilauea Summit hazard zone and gives us some closer uh, collaboration possibilities with the University of Hawaii Hilo and, and our emergency management partners in Hilo. So uh, the field station idea in the park is just part of a, of a broader revisioning of the HVO infrastructure that will really launch us into the next generations of, of volcanology research and volcano monitoring and support of public safety on Hawaii Island. The field station that USGS is going to build in, in the National Park, and, and will pop up in these different concept ideas, will be a combination of Hawaiian Volcano Observatory staff use and also use by our biology colleagues from the Pacific Islands Ecosystem Research Center. So this is a biological group that currently is housed in some other park buildings and so we're, we're using this opportunity to combine for efficiencies and uh, reduce our overall footprint. Uh, and so it'll really be a boon to, to the co- combined U.S. geological survey mission.
6: This is an opportunity to reframe how we how we use the Uwe Kahuna area. Of course, it'll continue to be an important area to study science. But by removing the Jagger and the HVO building, you have... A more natural setting that you know one of the proposals is to use that former footprint of the buildings to some of that area restored to a natural area and the and the other will be an outdoor observation deck and I think everyone recognizes that particular area is important to to so many different individuals, including of course the native Hawaiian. People and to continue to be able to provide opportunities for the public to come in and really appreciate and respect the area we want to we'd want to see that continue but perhaps in a, in a smaller footprint so that's one of the opportunities we have uh, with this recovery planning to, to reshape the visitor experience
9: the summit area of Kilauea is just a global treasure for conducting volcano research. There are very few places on the planet as accessible and as frequently active as Kilauea and Mauna Loa. And so to have a a field station that supports our work right there uh, really facilitates the quality and the timeliness of our science, and also the quality and the timeliness of our crisis response. One of the things we have to remember in kind of visioning the future of what's going to happen in the Kilauea Summit area, eventually there will be an eruption there again, either in the caldera or the southwest rift zone or upper east drift zone. And so the proximity of, of USGS folks to, to be there to respond and also to help advise the park so they can be, be mindful of public safety and conduct their operation appropriately really requires that we have a physical base from which to work. Even now that we're displaced and working out of Hilo remotely, uh, HVO scientists and technicians are coming into the park on not quite a near daily basis, but certainly many times a week to conduct routine monitoring of the growing water lake, to maintain and repair instruments in the region that go down to gather gas measurements. And soon, once the pandemic constraints are lifted, Uh, to conduct some geological field work to further research into the past eruption history of Kilauea. So there just is a real need for some base of operations to support all of that work, both for the volcanologists of USGS at HVO and also the biologists of the Pierce Group. As a scientist, as a volcanologist with a particular connection to Kilauea, I can't understate the power of having that personal connection with the place that you are studying and monitoring. I think I speak for all HVO scientists, past, present, and future, that having access to the volcano and having a base of operations to allow you to develop a relationship with the volcano you're studying and you're responsible for monitoring is so very powerful. And that's another reason why we are looking at ways to return to the park and we're all eager to get back to the park and have a, a facility to support our work there.
0: That was USGS Chief Scientist Tina Neal and Hawaii Volcanoes National Park Superintendent Rhonda Lowe talking about four proposals to rebuild the observatory, visitor center, and museum. For links uh, to the plan, head to our website later today. Well, we have to go now, but up tomorrow, we invite you to participate in a call-in show about reopening up businesses as Oahu's retail shops prepare for Friday's big day. Do you plan to get out and shop, or do you think it's too soon? Leave your feedback on our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. I'm Katherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow.